Season 2, Chapter 2, From Gray to Black. Hell is empty, and all the devils are here. William Shakespeare. From Gray to Black. The couple stood at the building's entrance. It was large and ornate, and accessible only to those in possession of a tenant's key. Tonight, however, the key wasn't working. High heels, silk scarves, a thin blazer. This is how you dress when you can go from nightclub to Uber, when money can buy a bubble. But now the pair was shivering as the polar air wrapped around them, easily permeating their high-priced and useless evening wear. We're just going to talk, right? The woman teased, leaning into the man with a giggle. Absolutely, he oozed back, stoned and unsteady. In that moment, he couldn't remember the woman's name. She had come on to him so aggressively that he had forgotten to ask or care. Now they really needed to get inside. She tossed her long hair back over her shoulders and gripped the lobby key, trying with more effort, never noticing that the keyhole had been jammed with something. Maybe it's frozen, she offered, before blowing on the key suggestively. <laughs> to help thaw it out, she added and winked. The man cupped his hands for warmth. In a few minutes, they would be inside and very warm. He was giddy. The shadow was there, too, stock still, watching as each anticipated move unfolded. The comings and goings of this upscale cluster of high-rise apartment buildings had been fascinating to him. He liked her new location, and he liked this city, but this was the moment he had come for. Well, hello there. The man and woman turned in unison to see the silhouette of a man. He was tall and thin, and he stood just beyond the glow of the ornate brass lanterns that flanked the entranceway. Just then, another gust of wind ricocheted around inside the vestibule, biting at their hands and sockless feet. The shadow watched as they winced. And then, Get lost, jerk! the woman barked unintimidated. In her world, there was always someone begging or lurking. She was annoyed. And move away from the building before I call security! She looked silly now, underdressed for the weather and ignorant of the mortal danger that she was in. And then, as if doubling down on it all, she added, and get a life, before rolling her eyes in disgust. She turned away, eager to try the key again. All at once, there was a strange pressure in her ears as a whisper floated up and around her. Ah, but I bring greetings from Daddy. She pursed her lips and leaned forward, straining to see into the darkness. My father? Ha! That selfish bloat, she hissed. He's got nothing I want. Unless he's dead and you're bringing me my inheritance. <laughs> now wouldn't that be nice? And anyways, she continued, not caring that her words had chilled her lover more than the bitter wind ever could. He doesn't even know where I live. The shadow snapped his head to one side, the way a bird considers an insect. No, but I do.
The ice storm was raging, encasing everything west of Waterville with a thick layer of danger. The regional hospitals were bracing for the expected influx of 911 calls. Most would be for hip fractures and broken elbows, and any orthopedist worth her salt knew this and was already preparing for a tussled week of emergency surgeries and chaos. Ed was on his last trip to the woodpile. After this, he and the doctor would rest and wait for morning, Monday morning. The wood was stacked less than 100 feet away from the side entrance of the house, just on the other side of the driveway. In the short time between his earlier trips, the layered ice had become as thick as granite. Walking safely seemed impossible. Ed lowered his center of gravity and began a cautious shuffle over the asphalt toward his target. The storm was dropping buckets of BBs. Beyond the deafening sound of static, he could make out the popping and crashing of limbs as they succumbed to the weight of the ice, shattering over roads and roofs like panes of glass. Power lines were straining against the inevitable. He was glad that Amelia was safe inside. I'll take this over Boston traffic any day, he told himself in a tone of faked cheerfulness. He was exhausted and worried, but he couldn't afford to choke. He had people counting on him, and he needed to stay positive. But thinking of Boston reminded him of Samantha. He was sure that she had left the city after school and moved out west, and then a mutual friend had seen her shopping in the North End. Ed was elated. His daughter was back home. Maybe she had come back to reconcile. It didn't take long for optimism to learn its lesson. Months passed with no word, the renewed grief of her estrangement nearly drowning him again. Why won't you talk to me? He remembered pleading when she finally answered his text. Please, I love you so much, sweetie. Please call me. Please, let me hear your voice, and I need to tell you something very important. The daughter he loved with the clumsy, wide-eyed wonder of a father in full rapture had finally agreed to a phone call. But she had agreed to engage only because she wanted her social security card and immunization records. Mail them to my temporary P.O. box. My whereabouts are not for you to know, she had informed him coldly. Ed's heart was coming out through his throat as he blurted and bawled, forgetting all the graceful words that he had practiced. Your mother's gone, Sammy. She passed. I didn't want you to see it in the paper. The, the service, I planned it to, to happen soon. Maybe we could talk after the funeral. I'd like a chance to fix whatever I did wrong. If we could just sit and talk, I'm sure we... He was cut off mid-sentence. Well, all I can say is this. Karma's a bitch, Edward. Karma's a bitch. <laughs> She chortled slightly and then hung up. Her words burned like acid, reducing Ed to a gray vapor. That she would not come home for her mother's funeral or even call him dad, that she could be so vicious, it was all too much, too painful. All options were on the table, including his late wife's pain pills. He had worked out exactly how many to take before he could slip away in search of peace. And then he took a job with Dr. Karen. <gasps> Amelia, how long have I been standing here? Ed was back in the yard again, 
back in the storm and the suffocating gray that was his heartbreak. He started moving toward the woodpile. As he shuffled, his mind wandered again. He couldn't help himself. Sammy will be 34 this June, he thought, finally making it across the yard. With each lifted log, he fantasized about a joyful reunion they might have after seeing each other on the street. Hi, Dad. I've missed you so much. It's been so long. All would be forgiven, and he would embrace his daughter again. And then, karma's a bitch, Edward. (laughs) Karma's a bitch. He had hoped that the years would lessen the intensity of her words, lessen their ability to squeeze and cut. But staying busy is a limited tool, a poor match for the incomprehensible pain of a child's rejection. I have nothing to live for. Nobody would even miss me. Maybe I can be the one to do it tomorrow. And then, making sure that he couldn't be seen from the house, he wept. When Ed had collected enough wood, he placed the canvas tote down in front of him, and he slammed the tips of his boots into the ice. These tiny indentations gave him what he needed to push off and slide while shoving the heavy tote forward in front of him. Over and over again, he chipped through the ice and pushed the tote forward. Just a few more steps, almost there. Then, a feeling. His skin sizzled with electric fear. He dared not make any sudden moves. Carefully and with great dread, he turned his head and looked back over his shoulder. I know you're there. Ed stated flatly, his voice barely audible over the constant sluice of freezing rain. He leaned his shins against the logs and slowly stood upright while turning 180 degrees. As he turned, he removed his right glove and guided his hand into the pocket of his parka. His fingers found the safety cap of the loaded syringe that he had placed there before leaving the house. He continued speaking. I thought you might turn up here, but this is as far as you go. You will never get past me again. Never. There was no one in the yard, and yet Ed could feel Abram's presence in the atmosphere, just as he had on that fateful day in the office. The cap was off the syringe now, and Ed had tightened his fist around it. Well, hello The whisper sounded as though it had been spliced and then reassembled haphazardly, syllables arriving at different times from different locations. Ed never flinched. His right hand carefully emerged from his coat pocket, gripping the 20-milliliter syringe of Diprovan like a dagger. Just what you asked for, Abram. Now come and get it, Ed thought to himself. You'll see me soon enough, Eddie, but I do have something exciting to share. The bodiless voice recoiled and sprung forward as it whirled around him. Was it reading his thoughts? I know all about you, Abram, and I have no interest in anything you have to say. Ed was resolute. Dripping with sick insinuation, the whisper laughed and rushed forward. I was with Sammy last night. Beautiful girl. She never asked about you, though. 
The shadow knew his words would wound Ed, and he smiled. Ed struggled to catch his breath as memories flashed before him. Her smallness, her innocence, her little voice singing loudly from the back seat of the car, the way she slept in her mother's arms, safe and loved. Hearing Abram speak his daughter's name felt intrusive and perverse. Ed, oblivious to the truckload of fresh grief that was waiting for him, was done talking to Abram White. Don't you dare say my daughter's name, you low-life piece of scum, he seethed and spun around, sure that Abram would be within striking distance. Nothing. The shadow was gone. And in those few seconds, Ed had become weightless. His sudden maneuver had pushed his feet out from under him, and he was falling now. The syringe of Dipravan aimed right at his thigh. Inside, Dr. Karen was frantic. Forgetting that the sheriff was giving a press briefing, she called his cell phone, and when he didn't pick up, she left a message. Nathan, it's me. Ed is outside somewhere, and I'm going out to get him. If anything happens, just know that, well, I want you to know that I'm grateful for our friendship, and Harper was too. Goodbye, Nathan. The sky had let go its gray veil. Night was coming. The doctor hurriedly grabbed her coat and boots, taking the extra few seconds to put on her ice cleats. She stuffed her pockets with her cell phone, two preloaded syringes of the precious Dipravan, and a flashlight. Then she exhaled slowly one time before opening the side entrance door. Amelia was barely off the stoop when she saw him there, not more than ten feet away on her left. Ed was sprawled out on the ice, facing upward toward the sky. The collar of Ed's parka had shielded his face from the storm, but he was pale and hypothermic. While the doctor palpated his body for injuries, her left hand found the large syringe that hung from his right leg. The needle had pierced his corduroy pants and entered his skin, but there was still plenty of liquid within the syringe. Ed had only received a small dose, about what is administered for most quick outpatient procedures. If she could get him inside and warm, he'd be up and about in no time. Dr. Karen grabbed the back of his collar with both hands and then dug her cleats into the ice. She heaved and pulled Ed D'Angelo back toward the house, toward safety and kindness, toward living. Abram felt lethargic, weighted down, he had taken what he wanted, but still it wasn't enough. What had once sustained him for days, weeks even, now hardly lasted a day. Things were changing. The thirst was unquenchable, ever more demanding, ruthless. It felt good to be back in the barn. Dried blood and vomitus were everywhere, and he was covering himself in it, rolling onto the stained stench like a dog. It smelled so good. And then there were her remains, her gruesome decay adding to the richness of it all. For weeks she had been his muse. He had ignored his father's warnings, of course, and spent time in the farmhouse, enjoying the warmth of the wood stove, 
and watching her, and, when she finally slept, Abram was there. Her madness had made everything so easy. He was glad to have her here beside him now, just like old times. He closed his eyes in guilty pleasure, still stupid enough to believe that he was in charge. His impudence only enraged the blackness. The spasms were coming, and they would have their way, but there was plenty of time for that. For now, the visions were having a go as they carried his thoughts back to those first days in the cave, back to the desert. For Abram, this wasn't the beginning. It was the apex of the thousands of soldiers and mercenaries that peppered the desert that day. They had come for him. The six others that were captured were extraneous stepping stones, really. This was about him, as it should be. And when his captors reached out to touch him, he understood it all perfectly. He reveled in the long-overdue recognition, and he never fought back. This feckless freak of a man was exactly what the blackness had demanded, and Abram was an eager lamb. Abram's eyes popped open, and he sprung up, covered in filth and rot. Like a devil caller ascending the stairs, the pain was getting closer, coming for him. Already his joints ached, and his flesh had started to burn. There could be no repose for this blighted boy, ever. The suffering was unbearable. He knew what he had to do. Forever doomed to feed the unappeasable, Abram had become a symbol, a repugnant, cursed caricature of all that is wrong with humanity, and always would be. I'll be back, my angel, he breathed, while caressing the greased smear of bones and clothing that once had owned the farm. Try not to miss me. He flopped down onto his stomach, and with the agility and sparkle of a black lizard, he crawled out from his hole, out of the barn, and back into the storm. From Gray to Black Written and performed by Bridget Emmons Thanks for listening.